Welcome to BSD Talk, number 82. It's Wednesday, November 8, 2006. All I have for you today is an interview, so here it is. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Jason Wright. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Again, my name is Jason Wright, and I just switched jobs. I'm working for the, the Idaho National Labs just started here four weeks ago, so I can't really say exactly what I'm doing yet. Still learning. But as far as the, the BSDs go, um, I've been a developer with the OpenBSD project since, let's see, late in 1998, or was it late 97? Whatever. It's been about eight years. Essentially, the, there was a bug in OpenBSD 2.3 that wouldn't allow it to boot on my old Sun 4300. This is an old 25 megahertz, 32 mega memory, 9U VME Sunbox. I found the the offending patch because 2.2 worked just fine, and sent it in. I got an e- email from this uh, Theo Durant guy who I'd never heard of before, saying, "Hey, do you want an account?" And stupid me, I said yes. Ever since then, I've gotten interested in. I've written device drivers for just about every kind of device. I tend to shy away from disk devices because I like for my uh, my storage to be nice and stable. So I tend to mess more with uh, serial devices, Ethernet devices, uh, network layer stuff, display devices, USB stuff. So I love writing device drivers. That sounds like pretty much what I've been doing with OpenBSD, except I've also been the maintainer for the OpenBSD Spark port as the, to the 32-bit machines like the Spark Station 10, Spark Station 5, 20, and that line of machines. More recently, you know, being the past five years, is the, the port maintainer for the OpenBSD Spark 64 port, which is a port to the 64-bit machines, like starting with the like the Ultra One, going up to the uh, the Enterprise machines that they're shipping today. Uh, there's even a guy who's tried to run it on an Enterprise 15,000, and we almost boot, but not quite. So i got to get back to that project at some point. So given that Theo's early work was with Spark, do you still end up doing a lot of close work with him on the Spark port? His concentration in the early days really was the Spark port, uh, particularly when he was still a core developer with NetBSD. But Theo's real value is that he is a phenomenal generalist. He knows quite a lot about everything going on in the tree. So he's pulled away a lot from the Spark stuff. Well, actually, he hasn't pulled that much away from it. He's just gotten more involved in other parts of the tree that are more interesting to him. So in the early days, it was a lot of working with with Theo, but as he's gotten more distracted uh, into other parts of the tree, you know, it's, it's a little less and less. But he's he's still very active. Like right now, he's prodding me to support the um, the Cassini uh, Ethernet that's found on a lot of the Spark 64 machines, some of the enterprise systems, and some of the uh, some of the uh, single U rack mount units, the the ones that don't ship with Broadcom and don't ship with HME, have uh, or Gem have. Uh, have Cassini, which is currently not supported. So he's bugging the crap out of me to get that done. <laughs> It'll happen. 
Now, working with device drivers would usually mean working with the manufacturer of the device, but one of the themes in OpenBSD is trying to get documentation from the different manufacturers. How has that process been for you? It's been a mixed bag. For instance, uh, let's, let's take Intel. Intel storage division, the RAID cards, excellent. Or at several points, they have shipped uh, cards to various OpenBSD developers to support their stuff. But the Intel networking group is finally coming into the 20th century. They are finally releasing documentation. I mean, just three years ago, you could not get documentation for the FXP, which is a 10100 Ethernet card. Three years ago, this is not exactly new technology. There's nothing all that exciting about the FXP other than its bugs, which is what we were most interested in getting the documentation for. There are uh, folks like Broadcom who have never released docs to anybody under any circumstances, unless you're willing to sign your life away with an NDA. Some of the Taiwanese manufacturers of Ethernet chips are actually really good at documenting, well, they're really good about releasing something they call documentation. It tends to be pidgin English and not terribly good documentation, but it's enough to get you going. And then to, to kind of complete the picture, you know, looking at uh, the Linux guys or, or looking at FreeBSD or uh, even Open Solaris for hints on where to, where to go. But it really has been a mixed bag. Um, some, some vendors are very open, but a lot of them are extremely closed. Um, and it even varies within divisions, as I said, uh, with Intel. Sun has been diffi- very difficult to, to get documentation out of. For instance, the UltraSpark 3 processor, you can get documentation for fairly easy. The PCI host bridge, which is alternatively known as uh, Schizo or Tomatillo, Getting documentation for that is nigh on impossible. So, great, you can run your code on on the processor, but you can't access any devices in the system. There's a big disconnect there. Documentation for the Cassini is not available either. The only reason the Linux guys are able to support it is uh, folks like David Miller and, and such like that signed away their lives with NDAs. And that's just not an option for me or for uh, the, the project, uh, the OpenBSD project as a whole. Working on the SunPort, I assume, means that you have a fair amount of Sun hardware available to you. But is it also your preferred platform for desktops and workstations? I have used it as a workstation uh, until probably eight months ago. My workstation was a, an UltraSpark 2 with uh, three frame buffers in it. And a good enough platform, you know, definitely not the speediest thing on the, on the planet, but uh, it was good enough. Um, these days, I hate to say it, but I've gone down the Macintosh um, bandwagon for my actual workstation, but I still have plenty of Sun hardware scattered around uh, my lab at the house, which is kind of still in pieces at the moment uh, as a result of the move. But yeah, at, at any one time I've owned uh, an uh, Ultra 1s, Ultra 2s, Ultra 5. I've never owned an Ultra 10, but an Ultra 10, all it is is it's an Ultra Ultra 5 and an Ultra 10 ca- in, a, in a vertical case. Let's see, Ultra 30, Ultra 60, Ultra 80, Enterprise 220, Blade 1000, Blade 2000, uh, oh, an Enterprise 4500, uh, which, by the way, is a very heavy machine. So I, I've had a lot of hardware at you know at any at any given time, but uh, what we find with with Sun hardware is it's important to have access to each new machine as it comes out because there's a quirk in every machine or there's a new device driver or something that needs to be written to support that particular machine. So it's been. That's been a fun part of the port, actually. <laughs> I've got my name on a lot of copyrights 
simply because there's this one little weirdo device that's only on like two machines. So it's been very frustrating and a, uh, and a and a fun part of the port. Is there any hardware in particular that you're looking for right now? I would like to, like to get a machine that actually has a Cassini uh, Ethernet chip built in. Unfortunately, I can't name exactly which machines these are. I used to keep up very well with uh, new hardware as Sun came out came out with it, and could identify. I, well, I need a one of these. I need a one of those. But these days, I I, I just don't know. Uh, under Solaris, these would be the machines that uh, have CE Ethernet cards in them. I believe that they mainly occur in the in the single U uh, rank mount machines. But I, but I understand that they are in at least some of the workstations. So that's probably the biggest thing, um, and, I, and I can't nail that one down. But uh, I do have an Ultra 3 machine at this point, which is really important. The the Ultra 3 is in a state where we support the instruction cache, but not the data cache. And when you're screwing around with the caches, you've got to have physical access to the machine, pretty much, because you're going to be using the power button a lot. <laughs> I think at the last hackathon, our uh, victim machine uh, ended up with uh, about 60 uh, power cycles in about five days. So you can get the machine into a state where it just refuses to power down. <laughs> so physical access is important in that case. And are you working on any other ports for other architectures? No, uh, but there has been a lot of activity in that in that realm. I've been watching the log today, and there's a lot of stuff revolving around the, uh, the, the SH4 uh, processors. All right, well, maybe moving away from the Spark into another area of your interest, could you describe what packet radio is and how you use OpenBSD with packet radio? Well, um, actually, the, the packet radio stuff I've only recently gotten involved with, and that's uh, particularly to support something called APRS, which is the Automatic Position Reporting System. It's used in, in the amateur community. Essentially, it, it broadcasts your position, or it broadcasts the position of a device that you care about, or a radio that you care about on a regular basis. It also allows for a little bit, something a little bit like uh, instant messaging uh, back and forth. It has acknowledgments, so it's a semi-reliable, or at least when there is packet loss, you do know that the, that the packet did not make it to its destination. It is very slow. It is usually run at 1200 baud, and there's a long time between uh, transmit and receive just because you've got to let the, the radio itself cycle. But with APRS, the, the most common application, at least under uh, under uh, any of the Unixes, is an application called Xaster. Uh, that's X-A-S-T-I-R. I forget what it stands for, but it uh, <laughs> but essentially it, it takes position information received from other stations. You hook a GPS up to it, um, tell it where the GPS is, and then you can get your position relative to another station. You can send messages to other stations that you can see. Um, they get plotted on a map in front of you. And it's, it's a neat application. Uh, one of the applications where I've seen it used is at the Marine Corps Marathon in um, Washington, D.C. They'll use it between the aid stations uh, to provide runner information or um, just other, other you know, kind of ride, uh, not ride, but uh, run-specific information back and forth. And it's a good exercise of, uh, of amateur radio. I also do some stuff with, it's not really packet radio, but it is digital mode radio where you're using DSP filtering and such like that to pull digital signals out of the air. One of the oldest modes is called RTTY, or uh, Remote Teletype. This runs at um, 
45.45 baud. I didn't misspeak. There's no killa in there. It's 45.45 baud. It uses an old encoding called Baudo, uh, which is a 5-bit encoding. So you've got uh, uppercase letters and numbers. And to switch back and forth, there's a, a shift sequence to, to switch from the letter case to the number case or number and symbol case. That mode's a lot, actually a lot of fun. And it's still very much in common use in the amateur radio world. The program I'm using under OpenBSD is called GMFSK, um, which is GNOME Multiple Frequency Shift Keying. Um, there's another one called GPSK31, which is a GNOME Phase Shift Keying 31. PSK31 is a, another mo digital mode uh, that's used. These are these are modes usually intended for keyboard to keyboard uh, conversation. So imagine AIM without all the reliability and with um, with uh, signal fading between you and your uh, destination. That's the kind of the best analog I can come up with. But all these applications I've ported to OpenBSD and they're in various uh, states of disrepair, waiting on me to get them into the uh, the port tree for uh, for everybody to be available. Uh, X-Aster was a huge one because it has so many dependencies. It's got uh, ge geometric libraries, uh, mapping libraries, and uh, kind of sub-utilities for getting at GPSs and stuff like that. It was it was a horrendous port uh, just because of the, the, the number of dependencies. But um, it is sitting in my tree, and it will eventually make it into the OpenBSD uh, port tree. And when you're doing all this coding and porting, what's your text editor? I hate to answer that question because I'm an agnostic. Actually, it's not so much an agnostic. I, I, I live in both worlds. I, I realize there are only two worlds, the, the VI world and the Emacs world, but I actually go back and forth between both of them. Um, it depends on what I'm doing, <laughs> or it depends on what kind of development I'm doing. If I'm going to be sitting in the same file and just you know kind of iterating away Emacs, if I'm going to be flying around the tree looking for stuff, it's VI every time. But even more than either of those, I use MG, which is in the OpenBSD tree, and I actually, while I was working for NFR, I had a need to run it under... Uh, I wanted a common editor on every platform that I worked on, so I used OpenBSD's MG ported to Linux on PowerPC, FreeBSD 4.8, macOS, and a couple of other platforms. It turns out that FreeBSD was one of the harder ports. I'm not sure why that was, but the Linux stuff actually wasn't that bad. But MG tends to be tends to be the one I spend the absolute most time on, and it's a it's an Emacs clone. And when you're in a graphical environment on OpenBSD, what is your desktop and window manager? Well, I don't do a desktop manager. I'm not real sure what one is. GNOME stuff just seems to be good at wasting space on my screen. For me, it's TWM. But part of that is I'm too lazy to install anything. And we've got a wonderful OpenBSD has a wonderful port system, a wonderful set of packages built every release, and I try to use the defaults on the system, or not the defaults, but at least stuff that's shipped on every system. So TWM, I like the K shell that comes with OpenBSD. All the nits that I liked about Bash are now in our KSH. So why install anything else? All right. Well, there are any other topics that you want to talk about today? Actually, there is another project that I that I want to get back to kind of been sitting dormant, and that's the IOMMU that's on the AMD64 platform. This is a concept that comes from, actually, like the, the Spark Station 1s and 2s. It's the ability for a device 
with a limited address space to be able to address all of main memory, usually through uh, some kind of window. Originally, this was on the Spark systems because of the Ethernet chip they used. It could only address either 20 or 24 bits of address space. So it couldn't see all of the memory that was in the, in, um, on the machine. So they invented the IMMU, so you map pages. So when the device asks for you know, page 4, it goes to a lookup uh, look table in the IMMU, which says, oh, that's really physical page this. So you have to be careful about map, you know, making sure stuff is mapped. The AMD64 platform also has that, has that same kind of table. And there's work that I started about a year ago that's sitting in uh, OpenBSD's tree that I haven't finished. And it, it's not waiting on uh, you know, hardware or anything like that. It's simply waiting for time. It is an interesting uh, device because it allows your 32-bit PCI devices to see all of that you know, 64-bit address space through small windows. So that's a project I'm, I definitely want to get back on. And if there's anybody who wants to help, just let me know. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Hey, no problem. I enjoyed it. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. Or if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 82.